welcome to your daily gate phase. I am Dr. Kim Lannon here with All Hairs Cut, Lou Blasi. I'm sorry. Can you pull that mic a little bit closer to you? I didn't do that. Oh, Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't have to do your job for you too. Yes. Wow. Well, it was an extensive pre-show here. <laughs> was it? Was it really? There was extensive? a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. It, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Mm, what was going on? Lighting. Lighting. Yes, that was part of it. And what else? Show prep. Show prep. Pre-show. Uh -huh. We were having our little banter setting up for today's topic. Yes. To have it nice and fresh. Yes. To be. I was poking the bear. You're poking the bear. <laughs> yep. You, The bear is not in the back of the cave today. Let me just tell you that. Um, first off, this weekend. Oh, not for this weekend. I actually have to go back to last week's show for a second. So I have a lovely set of listeners, as you know. Yes. And who are very mindful and smart and lovely and are fact checkers. And what a compliment. Mindful. Yeah. Mindful listeners. Yeah, they are. Well, I, I consider I think, that a great compliment. Well, I think I think that they are. No, I'm I not mean, disputing. I'm just an interesting word to use. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and I have one in particular. I mean, I have several that would do this, but I have one in particular that actually goes the extra mile because they're so interested in stuff that I talk about. At least that's what they tell me. So I'm going to go with that. It makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, they actually went and fact checked something, which they probably do a lot of, but that's fine. And um, and did you realize that Jamie Lee Curtis is actually not a hermaphrodite? I I didn't know she was when we talked about it. And... <laughs> well, so to to my credit, I have to say that. So I was going through a training program back in the day, back in the 90s, and. We were talking, that was like really when gender identity and gender fluidity and gender diversity and all those types of things were being talked about in the hospital setting because we had to be, there was trainings around all those things yeah. to be more sensitive in the psych, in the psych department, all these things. And so I had a, I'll call it a professor, but it was more of like a mentor, a person that worked there in our team rounds. And we would do rounds every morning. And one of the sets of the, you know, teaching modules that they were doing um, that we all had to do for each other as, as professionals was around that. And that's, that's been that long since I heard that information mm -hmm. from this person. And I just went with it, not even thinking, <laughs> not even thinking like, oh, well, it came from this really reputable person, a neuropsych person. He's written books, blah, blah, blah. And he's got this degree and this yeah. and that. And I just went with it. And so last week blurted it out because Hey, I thought it was fact. And in fact, it's not fact. So I am retracting that to say that Jamie Lee Curtis is actually not, I, she's not. And then I got the article from our lovely listener and it was on Snopes. You know how Snopes is fact checking. Yes. So, so I go to Snopes and I read the article and then of course, okay, I believe you before I believe Snopes, but that's well, I know. another well, deal. Yeah. Well, right. But <laughs> I went to the article that, yeah. that was found, but then I went beyond Snopes because of what you just said, because yeah. I think that, you know, they do good fact checking sometimes, but then I was like, let's just look at this because I'm like, wait a second, this is a challenge and a mind blow to, to that moment of, Oh my God, this mentor wasn't right. right you know, yeah. I had that moment. And so I went and I checked and um, yeah, it was just totally debunked. And it was something that was like an off the cuff kind of comment that was made. And then it was blown out of this thing you know, Hollywoody kind of yeah. whatever. And so left and right, I found all these things that weren't, you know, backing it up. So I wasn't so I'm not really sure. So at this juncture, I'm going to go with it's not a fact that she is a hermaphrodite, even though there are some things out there that are saying that, yes, she is. There's some things that are saying, no, she's not. And then 
I'm just going to go with, I really don't, <laughs> I really don't know. But then in, in finding that, I actually found out a ton of information about people that I didn't realize who are, that are actually are on these fact checker sites. <laughs> that are hermaphrodites. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the technical definition of a hermaphrodite, so I can't dispute or well, back people, up any of this. Uh, so hermaphrodite is a person who's born with both genitalia. And, I, I knew that, but well, to to the full extent or it, it, it could be it could be to varying extents. very yeah it could be the full extent and it can be some parts yeah. it can be partial parts it can be you know yeah yeah so yeah so, so who would know well exactly but the whole thing that came out it's funny because there was a movie scene from jamie lee curtis came up on facebook after you said it i'm going i don't know <laughs> that's so funny well I won't even go into all the things I found afterwards that who is and who isn't and how people know and all these things, but I was very fascinated oh, come by on, it. Give me one. And yeah, no, well, we're no? Doing, we got other things okay. to do, but, <laughs> but it was peak my interest. Well, now. you can go look, but okay. it was, but I, I was very thankful because, you know, you put out information on a show like mine and I don't want it to be incorrect. So I want to correct it because, Hey, if I'm yep. wrong, I'm going to say I'm wrong. It's another reason why I need a cleaner. You know, I have a cleaner, right? Like a house cleaner? No. When I die, oh, my laptops and computers are assigned to somebody to clean. Oh, because I'm a talk show host. Oh, and yeah. what'll happen is I'll go, I'll go search who's a hermaphrodite. That'll be on my search history forever. <laughs> so if I die tomorrow, what are they going to look up in my Google history? And it's oh, be, yeah. you should see some of the stuff that I look up oh, for I know. clients and you know or you know <laughs> patients, and I'm like, oh, my searches would be like, ooh. Oh, what? I've got all kinds of stuff in <laughs> my too. search engines yeah. that would be like, um, yeah. what are you doing? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, yep, that's that. That was for, you know, patient number two. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, But I just I just wanted to correct that because it's important that, yep. you know, get my facts right. So speaking of facts. So Jamie Lee Curtis may or may not be a hermaphrodite. Well, not as certain as it was in the last week's episode. Well, I'm going to go with according to very specific websites that do fact checking she is not but then there are other websites that say she is is there hermaphrodite.com i i didn't put that in but you can do that on your search and let's see no, it's gonna be another thing in my search engine <laughs> i know janet's listening and she's gonna be like the one that picks it up so janet don't worry about it it's we're just talking about gender fluidity and yeah. gender identity from the 90s why are you on hermaphrodite.com <laughs> oh my god um so anyway but this week how was your weekend by the way my weekend was uh, excellent pretty good actually yeah. Yeah. oh that's good yeah very nice i was up in loon yeah that's right saw yeah. all the pictures yeah it how'd, was, the, how'd it go um it, it was there <laughs> wasn't your best performance mm. No, I'm. I it was all good. It was. It was just you know lackluster. Was that the brook? I thought it was. The video in of the, the brook in the first set of pictures you saw it was. No, there was but, a video of a yeah, running the, brook. The second, yeah, the second set of pictures, the one that had the food in it, that was a different brook. But the okay. first set is the one you know. Yeah. Yes, it is the one. It looked familiar. Yes, um, <laughs> Scott. Loon is very tough. Yes, Loon is lovely. <laughs> Loon is Loon is. I love that race. That race is like death, death on a hill. I can't even imagine. Fantastic. Yes, Scott did not run it this year, but he loves to make sure that he <laughs> knows that we all did because <laughs> we're all crazy. Yep. You know, it is one of those things. It's like palpitating your heart. Um. Okay. So, 
we are going to talk today about food addiction versus real, real. And I say that in quotes because people are like, what? Food addiction is an addiction, but it is. It's it is. Versus, versus it is. addiction yeah. that you consider mainstream, um, eating disorder behavior, and also the makings of help rejecting complainers and blamers because they all go together because they're all connected. Yep. Did you know that? I, it makes sense. Right. Now that you lay it out. <laughs> now that I lay it out. So I've had some very interesting conversations with colleagues, friends, and others over the past week. Um, and in particular, a couple um, colleague doctor friends of mine and how we how we go about our practice with our families, our friends and our patients and how we talk about these things with them. And if we're straightforward or if we sugarcoat, no pun intended. Um, and for my group of people, including the friends I talk to about all these things that are in the field and so on, everyone does not sugarcoat because it's so important as a thing. It's like you don't go up to someone who has a heroin addiction and go, you know, I really think it'd be a good idea if you stopped. Yeah. And I think that's going to work. You know, you have to say you're going to die. You don't just like sugarcoat that and be like, well... <laughs> You have to be really straightforward because you have to give the education up front. And it, it, yeah, the truth might hurt, but, and the delivery might not be your favorite because it's hard to hear the truth, but that's part of the deal, right? So it's the same thing. And with food, with the support group around a person, they may not have that kind of intensity about the issue. The support group might not. The support group might not. Well, the support group is often, when we come down to like food addiction, we're going to talk about this today. The support group is usually the enabling group. Yeah. And the support group is usually, you know, they've got their heads buried in the sand and they 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 cater literally these are gonna be all these puns that are not intentional, but yep. they cater to the problem um and you know turn a blind eye to it mm -hmm. and and it starts um it starts actually zero to six years old. And this is this goes back to developmental stuff is that food addiction starts from the time a child's born to the time they're six just like lots of developmental things, it's modeled. Mm -hmm. um, addiction things are modeled in childhood and then they just carry on throughout. And so if there's an eating disordered behavior that comes along, um, it's got full set in motion by the time a kid is six or seven years mm -hmm. old. Yep. And then it just manifests itself later as it comes through. So, you know, if you have a seven-year-old, which I know people that I've had in my life that at seven years old, up until right now, and they're much older in life, have been binge purgers, have been you know, starvers yep. and both and eating disorder behavior. And then, and then, you know, and it becomes a thing. So, but, but first of all, so I want to say like food addiction is often overlooked because people don't think of it as an actual addiction. And, um, and what people do is they justify it in themselves that it's not anything, but just, you know, eating and they want to eat. Right. And, um, and it's a false permission that they give themselves to not take responsibility for doing anything that they're doing to choose these mm -hmm. things. And then they minimize it and then they live in denial. And that support system you just talked about just perpetuates it and enables it. And um, just like in alcohol, gambling, drug addiction, shopping, sex addiction, it's all it's and it's all in the same place in the brain. Yep. OK, so because it's a it's a pleasure and reward center thing, right? So there's a very interesting, I'm going to try to get this person on um, the show, um, but I was having a conversation yesterday with a client who's, who's she and her husband both um, have been working on their weight issues um, with me. Well, she has been, and her husband has been 
um, off and on with like bariatric surgery. And um, we've had, we've had many discussions about this yeah. and, you know, they've got, they've had quite a weight problem, but they're so super forthcoming and, and very open to directness. And that's how, you know, yeah. their doctors have been and I am with them. And so um, there's a woman who has written a book and she also has done, she does this really great programming here in this area for people to get, real with themselves and in, in terms of like food addiction yeah. and uh, her name is mary beth sharon and hopefully i'm going to get her on the show i've got some contact out with her and it's and it's called my hungry head Ooh. and it's the dismantling of the diet prison a guide to understanding how to control your hunger and take charge of your weight now it sounds like a typical like oh it's a weight loss book and all that stuff but it really isn't that it's actually about like the straightforward nitty-gritty no holds barred, like you, you got to be able to look at it, what really it is. And you can't be like, you know, you got to get away from being a victim yeah. and feeling like I'm victimized because someone says, you know, that, you know, I'm too heavy or I'm too this or I'm too that around yeah. weight or I eat too much fried food. Yeah. Well, if you do, you do, you know, if you go into your doctor's office and your doctor says, Hey, you need to stop vaping and you shouldn't weigh as much as you do. And you're on the birth control pill and you're wondering why you have chest pains you know, you aren't doing an ethical job as a doctor to just go, hmm. And if you know that in your own friend life and you don't tell your friends like, hey, this is what I know, you're doing them a disservice as well. But people get very defensive and sure. um, incredibly verklempt and get their britches in a twist because of it, as yep. you could say, right? So really quickly, there's another book too. Because that, what they're really bristling at is taking responsibility for their situation well, right and which i'm going to get to about yep. them being help adjuncting um but there's another one too that there's another book out there too in case people want to go get it that i that i think is really good it's more of like a how-to book as well um and the author is michael crookshank and it's called dead people don't lose weight love the title <laughs> because it's so straightforward right dead yeah. people don't lose weight why because they they eat themselves to death and that's it yep. and and they make all those justifications in the world and you know, they're, you know, young people, the people I was talking to yesterday were telling me the story about a 41 year old um, who had a massive heart attack last week and had to have three stents put in, um, has children and 41. Yep. And his, and his children, you know, he's, I mean, the, are just they're little still essentially they're not little little but they're you know they're young yeah 41 and um he's not what we would consider heavy heavy but he's had weight issues and a poor relationship with food for a long time and um the people i was talking to about him because they were we were discussing how to help him now and like things um i only know him vicariously through the people i'm helping with their weight journey um was saying they were showing me pictures that he's a foodie and all the pictures of his his social media feeds are his foods are what you would think fried food yeah just indulging foods that make the brain just want more and more you know like lots of bread products lots of pasta yeah. products lots of uh, french fries you know you name it it's not good it's all that processed crap and if you're i mean the big reports right now in the past two weeks especially because of alzheimer's and the new the new drug that's come out one of the big pushes people need to stop eating processed food and they need to get their minds right around healthy food and yep. how to how to manage your brain to get it into the right spot. Um, and so that's that's a very big 
um, educational moment for people. Um, what? Bruce, how do you stop dreaming of chocolate cake? Uh, well, you can dream about chocolate cake because you're not eating it. That's you can right. dream about it all you want, Bruce. Um, so two things. So for just as like a little educational thing, um, when it, when you're talking about addiction, addictions in the brain in very similar spots for different th you know for the different things. But in food addiction, we have this little spot that happens to be in our emotional center, and the emotional center of our brain. Is called the limbic system. It has three mm -hmm. parts. I'm only going to talk about one. It's the hypothalamus. And I have talked about it before. And the hypothalamus is like your on-off switch for guiding. I'm hungry. I'm not hungry. It's like a light switch. Okay. I'm hungry. Yep. I'm not hungry. Right. And when that is naturally turned on, it says you're hungry. It sends out a signal to your body, to your gut that says, I'm hungry. You eat. When it's when you're full in a natural way, it will shut off. When people are food addicts and they overeat and they overeat it's because it's in the emotional center of the brain and people are overeating because they're emotionally not taking care in a behavioral modification kind of way their emotions their pain their suffering and, and all those things so what they're doing is they're going to the food they're fooding it up they keep the hypothalamus switch turned on and so therefore it never comes off so it's always sending a yeah. signal that it's hungry which what does it do it just packs on more weight makes you eat more, packs on more weight. It makes you so right. So when people that I was around a friend of mine, uh, Monday, and he was talking about this with me and he was saying, you know, people that are heavier and you know, they'll, they'll do the whole thing in, in, in the culture of, you know, no fat shaming and all this, yep. right? No fat shaming. It's about being um, fat realistic or heavy realistic because what is it doing to your body and whatever. And people will say, I feel great. And we were, we were both talking, well, we a whole bunch of us, we were all talking about the fact that you're, you can't possibly be saying you feel great inside when you're telling your loved ones, I need to go throw up or I don't feel good every time you eat or yeah. it may, you know, and then, because if you're telling people you feel good on the outside and you have this very, you know, mass that you're carrying around, the inside is not looking so good. Right. So you can say you feel good on the outside and that you feel accepting of what you look like. That's great. But on the inside, we know that the chemicals that are in the processed foods and all the things that you keep eating and all the fried foods and all the trans fats and all the polyunsaturated and everything's in there is wreaking havoc on all your big systems. And it and then it's also wreaking havoc on your brain because it's just reinforcing to your brain that it's a reward center. It's a reward center, reward center. So yeah. it just makes you want more. And so if you're not getting messages like, hey, you might die, you know, if you're not, you know, there's a reason why we have an obesity issue with kids coming up through. No one's being realistic to monitor what kids are eating. And the pleasure center is like, let's reward with pizza. Let's reward with ice cream. Let's, yep. you know, any, any given day and why the ends and why we'll have a snack that's all day long. That's part of the problem. And over in Europe, they don't have like Monsanto does a lot of like food products for Europe and here, right? The yep. company, they don't put the processed food chemicals in the foods over there like they do here. No. So not in the same way. Yeah. So when they do that here, we have this big market for like, you know, there's a reason why, you know, when do you see Burger King and Wendy's and Taco Bell commercials? You don't see them in the morning. 
when do you see them? They psychologically place those things at the evening times, like around nine or 10 after you finished your whole day of eating when you really shouldn't be. And all of a sudden now we have it on our fingertips. Let's door dash it. Let's go yep. to the, it's open till 1am, right? So it, it pushes to those, the brains that are highly addicted to the feel good of just eat to eat. And then here we go. Right. So it's, it, so there's so much psychology around the unfortunate nature of people's demise in their head of, I have low self-esteem. I don't feel good about myself. I have tremendous, you know, stress. Um, you know, I don't have love and support around me. I've, you know, had this since I was a child and it starts with modeling. If you grow up in a household that, you know, has people that don't eat right and has overweight people and they're not doing exercise and all that's 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 your model right you know it's interesting because like well food equals love or food is a reward or food is right and 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 when the family unit just goes and does everything around food and no activity Mm -hmm. it's like what do we do we get up we eat together then a couple hours later we go and have lunch together and we go through the drive-thru and then we come home and sit and we don't do anything and then it's like time for dinner so that that's what the 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 family dynamic is, um, and that's that's not healthy, right? And so, if you're a doctor talking to people, all my patients welcome and accept all the feedback because they're looking to have help. They right. want that, right? Um, if you have friends and family, they're in the same position. There's there's absolutely zero wrong with being able to be open and straightforward. Some people can't take that, and it's painful, and that's why it's because that's one of the reasons why they're eating and doing right. their things. Right. So, so they're acting out through the food. Um, but really quickly, cause I want to just give a quick education on this before I go on to the other pieces of this. Um, there's two primary um, gut brain pathways that regulate our appetites. Right. So we have our gut and our brain talk to each other. Remember we talked about this a few weeks yes. ago, mind, body connection, mind, body connection. Right. And both of those systems involve like a small central part of the brain, the hypothalamus. Right. And that's like a little hotbed of like hormone production because it's emotional. It's emotional center. Right. And it also the hypothalamus also regulates your temperature, regulates um, your sleep cycle, your stress, your um, sex cycle and, and there's one other thing. Of course, it just slipped my mind. Oh, and your thirst. Oh, okay. Right. So yep. thirst. Um, so it monitors some of these body processes. And but a big one is like all eating disorder behavior really goes right to that spot, whether it's anorexia or restriction, or if it's the obesity side and it's the, mm-hmm. you know, binge purging or just the full on just eat, 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 eat. Right. And so the first per- the first system that comes into play um, is the stomach hormone ghrelin. Have you ever heard of ghrelin? No, I haven't. So ghrelin is spelled G-H. R-E-L-I-N for all the fact checkers out there that may <laughs> fact check. So, um, and that stimulates the center within the hypothalamus. Okay. And this structure releases like a, like a little neurotransmitter, neuropeptide thing. That's really important. Um, and that in turn, um, ignites this, the, the appetite, mm-hmm. it gets it going. Right. And it, and then it drives you to seek out food. So that's, so it's an important little chemical. And then there's this other chemical called leptin, L-E-P-T-I-N. Mm-hmm. So ghrelin and leptin. Now, you don't have to know those terms, but it's kind of important to know that there's chemicals that make these things turn on and off. Right. And so leptin decreases your appetite and while ghrelin increases your appetite. And when there's ghrelin in your stomach, it signals your brain when you're hungry. If it's 
normal switching and yep. you're not over over right. feeding it and your and and your fat cells your your actual fat cells produce leptin which decreases your appetite because it says you've got enough fat essentially so you don't need to really? eat more yeah. and it it lets your brain know when you've had enough energy stored and you feel full and that's what leptin does when you are wow. when you are saturated we're overriding that oh know. well this is yeah. this is the addiction yeah. piece so when when a person you know you see people that like you know they've just eaten a full meal and then they you know they've had you know the thousand calories of the appetizer then they've had a two thousand calorie meal which is what happened you know fried chicken and then they've got french fries and and they're eating off of other people's plates of other things and yep. pizza and whatever. And now they're going to have big dessert. And then someone brings out like a leftover thing with a big bin of something in it. And then they just start eating out of that. It's like, oh my God. Right. Because the body is in scream mode and it's because the body has no, it, it has no regulation ability anymore because right. you are bypassing that because you're eating out of your own um, self-destruction. Yep just to do it. Right. And your gut feelings, those gut feelings that come from the leptin and ghrelin, those gut feelings um, for comfort food are more driven by your mood and feelings of nostalgia of when I eat, this feels good. So you know how sometimes you'll be around people and they'll eat and they'll, they'll do that. Mm, mm. Mm, right. Yeah. That, or, or they'll, it's interesting because you, you get people that have like almost an orgasmic look on them when they're eating yeah. every single thing. It's because the hypothalamus isn't eating, isn't triggering the gut to eat, to, to live. It's they're living to eat. They're right. just eating. Cause it's like, you know, they'll pick up the food and over their head and put it in their mouth. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> yep. and it, and it turns into what you would consider. I mean, and it's not maintenance. It's, it's not, emotional comfort. Well, it's, it's emotional comfort. And when it's, in that space and you have all these behaviors that are going that going with it it's gluttony it yep. gets really gluttonous because it's so um overwhelming to the brain gut system that it it can really destroy that process to get right because that's why so many people have a hard time i mean in some things that you read like there's a couple good articles in scientific american and a couple others in the american journal of of weight and, and obesity and so on and so forth talking about how it's the addiction piece of food is so um, ingrained that it's it's just so hard to break the cycle because yeah. a person gets so defended in on it that it's they're doing the right thing by them because they're so hungry. They've convinced themselves that they're hungry and they're really not. Um, one of the studies I was reading um, recently was that, you know, 14 percent of people who are obese and and just their BMI is, you know, we're talking the high end BMI yep. and over, um, fourteen percent at the base minimum do not need to actually um, have any kind of surgery or and medical intervention. They it's all emotional mm -hmm. and uh, behavioral support they need to have, and that's a small number because there's other reports out. That was just like one in two thousand nineteen from an article I was reading, but there's another great set of articles that talk about, you know, the majority, 60, 70%, depending on the article you read, are behavioral and emotional, which is why they don't like to do bariatric surgery unless you can show that you can lose 50 or 60 pounds with the help of psychologists and all that, or they won't do breast reduction surgery. And I think it's a big mistake because I know that people now have had, you know, here and there have had breast reduction surgeries or they've had weight loss surgeries and the doctors have bypassed the whole psychology piece yeah. and what's happened. I have several patients that 
have lost weight and have done beautifully and it made them feel self-esteem come up and whatever we've regulated it and we did a lot of work around it and then i have a couple of patients that are like struggling because now they're heavier than they were right. before and with um so um, the surgery does nothing to stop the underlying cause. Well, exactly. Yeah. And so the thing with bariatric surgery, and, I was, and this was one of the things I was talking about with um, my client yesterday, is we were talking about um, how her husband had it, and and he teaches about this and how he's like, he's like um, and, and I love the way he describes it too. It's like, you know, it's, it's like you're out on Route 3 driving like, hundred miles an hour and you, and you step out in the road and so, yell, stop. And the person just cannot stop, you know, <laughs> because even though they've had the surgery, what happens in the bariatric surgeries now, and, and I don't think a lot of people know this, is that they, they sever parts of the vagal nerve and the vagal nerve, which I've talked about before, the polyvagal yeah. system, right? That's a regulator for emotions. It has a direct connection to the hypothalamus. So when you have an emotional, oh yeah. when you have an emotional reaction yeah. or emotional thing going on, it gets regulated through the vagal nerve in your neck, and it directly the vagal nerve runs between your brain and your in your gut. So when they do that, they sever that. But the problem with that is, and this is one of the reasons, and I get this all the time, why do people always gain weight after they've had bariatric surgery? And most people do, not all, but most. Mm -hmm. um, it's because after X amount of time, the vagal nerve that they have cut in this, in the, you know, they don't just snip it and kill it, but they, they sever it so that it has no talk time to the hypothalamus. So the emotional thing can't be there going, right. Ah, right. It repairs itself. And once it starts to repair itself, the person who has not done the emotional work on the pains that underlie the thing that happened that modeled to them this behavior at four and five and six and seven years old and started them on a track of binging and purging and throwing up and doing all the things in the bathroom that starts coming back and the weight goes back on. Yeah. And so then people go back and want to have this, uh, have the sleeve or have the thing again. And, and they do approve it sometimes, but, this is it's the same process because if the if you're not doing the work underneath you're, you're on like yeah. a slow death track you know essentially because you're just people gonna, have multiple surgeries of this kind they do now they never used to they can now like more than two two is the most i've i've heard okay, of in yeah. my practice i don't know if they may have more but two is the most i've heard in my practice um there's a psychiatrist. So there's no real meat behind the, I want to make sure you can handle this before I give you the surgery because they've already demonstrated they can handle it. They just rebound. Well, so that, and they call it, they call it rebound weight yeah. is that that's what's happening. Now, this isn't everybody that you know, a lot of doctors, a lot of doctors do not have that practice and they're very straightforward. And I've talked about Dr. Now, you know, no, I can't remember his full name, but they call him Dr. Now in my 600 pound life. He's very, very straightforward like I am. And he's like, you're going to die. And I will not give you the surgery until you can show me by working with the psychologist that you can be upfront right. and not justify and not minimize. And he'll be like, what are you doing to make this better? And I understand you have, you know, something going on. I understand that you might've had trauma, but you're, you're per purposefully with choice, re-victimizing yourself and blaming other people for it without taking the responsibility on yourself. I can't, I can't do this because this happened to me. I can't do this because you said I'm this, yep. right? It's like, no, no, no. You can't blame someone for the choices you're making, well, you can, but you know what that's going to get you? 
nowhere. Right. It's going to get the people away from you and it's going to distance them from you because they can't help you. Ultimately, it's your decision to put the food in your mouth. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Just like ultimately, it's your decision to put the heroin needle in right. or go extra shopping or become, you know, sex addict or cocaine or alcohol or smoking. No one's putting the gun to your head to do it. So it's like taking your hands off the wheel. Right. And so. Yeah. At 103 on Route 1. At 100, right. At 103. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think that. Um, we don't talk about food addiction in the same way in the social big scheme of things. That's so what I mean. There's not the we shame. Don't, we not, don't have yeah. enough people realizing that, no, no, this is your decision. This is, you know, like there's no blame. It's about you got to look at yourself and say, what am I doing? And, and how am I going to fix this? And, if people are up front with you and are straightforward, why would you get upset with that? Well, that's because the emotional piece is already damaged. You already have shame. You already have guilt. You already have all this stuff. And instead of like going, okay, I really need to look at this. You feel like a victim. Yeah. You act like a victim. And then that gives you the right to not have to do anything about it because look at everyone, everyone or, or my doctor or my, my, my sister, my aunt, my friend has said that this is me and how dare they? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well that it's called love and care and I don't want to die before you. And you know, God forbid you'd say that to someone that has a very sensitive soul because it's true. And, and all the doctors that I've talked to, that I'm colleagues with and several other people that I know have written these books feel exactly the same way. And that's exactly how they talk. And I work with a bariatric surgeon here in town and he and I've had these conversations like you are straight up with everybody, no matter what, that's how you are. You just do it. That's how you do it because you can't just look at someone and say, I, I walk by my students or on Thursday nights, they're outside smoking or they're vaping. I'm like, cancer sticks slow death and they all laugh but i say it because yep. hey you know and then one girl last week said well at least i'm not doing heroin anymore <laughs> <laughs> well, you know okay. so but you know she has a good she's sense not of, wrong she's not wrong but you know and i was like well i wasn't expecting that comeback but yep. she's able she's done work and i can tell i mean she's my student i don't know exactly but you can tell she's done the work to be like this is the trade-out right now. I'm doing one thing at but a time. To you get rid and of. medical doctors can do this on a clinical basis, which family members and friends often can't. Um, well, family and friends. You can do it without the shame. You can sit there and go, "You're going to die," and it's just, well, it but, seems very clinical, and it's not putting I, the person down. I, I imagine it's more so that way for them than it is a family. Or well, I think that friends. I think that yeah, clinically, it's it's that way. But I think that when you have a clinician in your family. I think you still can be the same way. It's just sure. a matter. It's just a matter of like the person and whether or not they have a, a healthy enough ego in their reality to really manage it. Yeah. And, and that they're, and then they're not, their support system, going back to what you said, Van, their support system isn't sitting around them, coddling them and being like, it's okay. Yeah. It, don't worry what she says, you know, Oh, you know, that, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, well, yeah, well. With I'm, food, I'm, I'm guessing that kind of thing happened. Oh, he's just big boned. Or, there are no big bone skeletons. Yeah, I know. <sighs> I know, but there isn't the shame around food addiction that there is around heroin, for example, or or right. even well, smoking well, or gambling we, or anything else. To, well, yeah. unfortunately, unfortunately, and fortunately, because I think that there's something to be said for people to feel good about themselves, whatever they're doing. Yeah. But there's also a reality of, like Michael Cruikshank says, you know, like 
you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's a really straightforward book. It's like, you know, there's no dead, you know, I, I always say to people that are in my class, I always say there are no old heroin addicts. Why? Because mm. they die. Yeah. Right. There are no, there's no way that people make it to older ages on the diets that they choose. Um, and you could eat in, that doesn't mean that you have to be thin and skinny, which is often the misnomer. Right. I don't care if my patients or my family members are thin and skinny. What I want is healthy. Yeah. And there's a big difference. You can be a hundred pounds overweight and still be healthier than a hundred pounds overweight and eating crap. Mm -hmm. And that's a big difference. And, and so I think, I think that's an important distinction. And, um, one of the other pieces I was going to just add to that little education piece is um, there's a psychiatrist at the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And this is like that addiction piece is so important that people should realize is her name's Nora Volkow. And, and, you know, she's like, um, she talked about chocolate lovers and how like their addiction to chocolate and stuff, but she was saying how um, foods effects on the reward system because of the addiction and just eating for fulfillment of uh, uh, that, I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, sad, traumatized, victimized, yep. whatever that, that reward system of just feed me in the hypothalamus, you know, stick my face in a vat of potatoes, even though I just ate dinner, blah, blah, blah. Um, that can, <laughs> I know true, true story. I know. Um, it can override the fullness factor because it just doesn't, it, you don't have the switch to move anymore because you're just overriding it. And what it does is it motivates the brain to keep eating. I experienced it the other day. It was interesting because I went to a barbecue joint and it's like these ribs were like the best I've ever had. And I ate a ridiculous amount and I knew it at the time. And it's just kind of, it just kind of overrode the reward system. As you said, yep. kind of overrode my feelings of being full. Yeah. And, and so what that does is neurobiologically, right? When you do that, it overlaps the addiction and overeating piece and just allows you to keep doing it. And once you get that under your belt a couple of times, it's just like nicotine, heroin, cocaine, alcohol. If you have the predisposition for addiction, there you go. Cause it's your reward center is there. And you are you're gaslighting yourself into more of the problem and then then we get into so we talk about food addiction and then we talk about the 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 eating issue but then we talk and come to the point where we have to talk about the help rejecting complainer yeah. and blamer and that's that's the big piece now i'm very lucky knock on wood there's not in here i'm very lucky that 99% of the people i see in my practice have tough shoulders and can at some point take it when i'm like okay <laughs> and i have to call out like how rejecting they're pre-qualified to seeking help right they right yeah. they ha they have they have identified and said i need this and, you know, yep. hit me with your best shot kind of thing. Right. And certainly you don't come out like at the beginning and say that, but eventually if like, you know, you get to a point where we're not having movement, you got to be saying what's going on. And oftentimes, and this is what happens in families as well. And the curse of having clinicians and families is right. Yeah. Cause you call it out as well. Um, is that people are help rejecting and they um, guise it in the fact that, you know, I want your help and they ask for your help and you give the help and you give advice and it's over and over and over and eventually nothing works. So now it's, we're escalating the ante. And what happens with, with people is that 
they will become that victim mentality. And when it doesn't work, because they haven't really tried it, right? because that would take effort, that would take, you know, effort um, and motivation, um, they blame you and it's all your fault. And I'm very, that's why I'm, that's why I'm very lucky that, cause I have self seekers in my practice that they, they want that help and they don't tap out on me. And I don't typically have to say you're help rejecting complainer. You know, I seek your help. I get your advice. I don't try it. Then I come back to you, complain about it and blame you for yep. it. And now you are the reason why I have an eating disorder. It doesn't work like that. You can't blame someone right. for your eating disorder or for your drug addiction or for your whatever. It's you. You're making choices. And if you don't like what's being said to you, I mean, that's because it's going against your cognitive narrative about the fact that you're a victim. But and if you're unwilling to accept the narrative that you control the outcome. Right. Then And that can be, we'll go back to death of self. That can be traumatic. Accepting yes. responsibility for the problems, right? So well, yes, it's you, easier to blame someone else. Yeah. Oh my God, absolutely easier to blame. Nobody wants to accept responsibility for a problem that's out of hand to that degree. Nobody wants to accept the responsibility. So the only, uh, the only alternative is to be a victim and blame someone else. Ex it's well, happening to you. It's not happening because of you. Exactly. And yeah. so when you have a help rejecting complainer, who's directly or indirectly. You know, whether they're saying I need your help or they're saying things like I don't feel good when I eat or they get up from the table and have to go throw up. And, you know, they're always, you know, yeah. they're doing those things. They're doing it a lot. Like, say they're doing it for 10 years and, and you, you're like, you know, you probably shouldn't eat that. Yep. And you get the look across the table of like, you know, yeah. I want, you know, well, they refuse the help that's offered. And then, you know, their request for help is generally embedded in some kind of complaint, you know, uh, you know, I don't feel good. Um, you know, I don't know, I, I want to have this, I think I should eat less tonight, but uh, I really want this other thing. And then they go and have the other thing, but they just complain the fact yep. that they don't feel good. So the request for help is embedded in this covert yeah. thing, right? And sometimes, you know, those those complaints are just them dumping to justify that they're going to feel, you know, that they're going to get attention for it. That's attention seeking. Yep. A huge attention seeking. And it often gets sympathy like, oh, the person doesn't feel good or the person's, you know, oh, they have, you know, heartburn. That's the key. Yeah. You know, sympathy, sympathy yep. not empathy, but sympathy. Right. right. And when the person gets overwhelmed with all their bad feelings in their head, because that's what's really going on, they will lash out at you. And, um, and they don't want the attack back. Um, so if they do get feedback, they get more lash out because mm -hmm. they feel so bad inside because then they can create the idea. Well, it's manipulation. Now, manipulation, as I've said before, is a um, coping strategy. It's a coping strategy to control a situation. And yep. eating disorders are, are about power and control for oneself taking their own self back. Um, and little kids start that early and then they get into their adulthood and, you know, keep going with that. And you, when you see obesity and you see that, that's like the uh, lack of self-will run riot of being able to right. take their control over and say, I don't have control over this. Like OA, right? Just like AA. It's I have to let go of that. I have control and power over food. I have to really look at how to right. center myself. Right. But instead they'll dump and dump and dump on, on people or, or individuals, whatever it is that drives them to eat. Right. Yeah. And then um, they'll engage in it over and go over and over again about it. And then um, 
And then it becomes emotionally exhausting for people to watch it. And a lot of people, you know, like in family, like think about regular, I say regular drug addiction, right? People will watch that for years and yeah. turn their head. It's the same thing with food. People just go like, well, it's, it's just, it's just tonight. What do you do it five days a week? Oh no, I had salad. You had salad. Mm, sa yeah. You didn't have just lettuce. <laughs> Well, with, with drug addiction, people will watch it and tolerate it. But right. with food addiction, oftentimes it's supported. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and when it, and I think that when you don't feel good here, have some ice cream. Let's sit down and have some ice cream. Right. And or or let's have, you know, it kills me with like the let's have go out to, you know, have a coffee. It's not coffee. It's a 400 calorie latte with caramel syrup, which yum. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, when and. So in lieu of the fact that, you know, people can give advice, like I'll give advice and then I'll give advice and I'll give advice and I'll give advice. And, you know, I can give, I can give numbers and I can give statistics and I can give self-help books and I can say, let's go to OA and whatever it is. But people that are in that position who just want to blame you and it's your fault. Okay. That's because they're dismissive of their ability to right. do it for themselves and not accepting responsibility. They just don't, re and they don't want it. And they'll get, they'll get their support system on the attack mode at you as well, because oh, how can that person say that to you? Yep. And how dare they? And all that stuff. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat and say, I don't want to end up at your funeral. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want, you know, to outlive you if yep. you're younger than me. I, you know, I don't want to have those issues. I'm watching it happen. You know, I, I always say, and I've said this to you, I would die any day right now and know that I have exercised, eaten the best I can, done right by my family and friends, even if they didn't like it, <laughs> and and my patients. And and you know, I had these conversations in the past two weeks because I'm doing all these weight loss things over the summer with a whole bunch of people, and they're all like, absolutely, like you got to, you know, even you know, people that have lost fifty. I have one person's lost about fifty pounds in the past like couple months, right? Nice. Yeah. And they're so excited about it, and they're like, I would rather have lost the fifty pounds and die happy this way than have been doing what I was doing three months ago, yep. because I'm, I'm being mindful. I'm being present. I'm not blaming, you know, that this happened or my dad did this or my mom did that. It, they're just like, I have to take control of my own life and stop being like uh, rejecting of help. That's the irony of the accepting, accepting responsibility problem in mental health, because mm -hmm. nobody wants to do it. They have right. issues and they don't want to accept responsibility. It's happening to them. They're a victim. Right. But once you realize the, level of control you have over your outcomes it becomes it becomes enlightening becomes empowering oh yeah once you understand the power that you have over your outcomes right but it's very hard to get people this is it's like, hard to flip that page it's it's hard to get people it's it's harder to get people who have a support system around them that's modeling the same behavior right. to do that yep. so if you're like the clients I have right now, and especially the one I was working with yesterday, she has a support system around her that has similar mind like thoughts. They struggle together, but they know the struggle's real and yep. they are, they don't, and they're young and they don't want, and they just, you know, 41 years old, they have, they don't want to have somebody, they don't want to have, they have kids. They don't want someone to die. Yep. Like they're realistic and are welcoming to, you know, like, you know, 
I, I, I don't say, hey, let's go join a marathon team and run an, a marathon yeah, when yeah. you can't run a mile. Let's not go join a swim team and do a whole length of a pool when you do doggy paddle and the, and the thing and think you're going to go win. No, but you can start, do. We let's... have to start somewhere with something small and you have to be realistic that you can't just go and do when that's not how life works. It, it, can, it can be as small as let's not have the box mashed potatoes tonight. Or, yeah, or like let's not have french fries. Yeah. Every meal. Right. Or most meals or the fried chicken, you know, let's pick a salad and not put ranch dressing on it. <laughs> you know, it just those things. Yep. You know, and it doesn't mean you have to be boring with your food. It means you have to be realistic of like every time you eat, you're charging up that reward center to go. Oh, that feels so good to my emotional level. I'll just keep feeding it and feeding and saturating and saturating yep. and saturating. Um, and so it's like, you know, and so oftentimes what you get is so in help rejecting complainers they'll they'll be like on the bandwagon they'll take your advice they'll go out for like you know a long walk for like a week straight and they'll be like oh i did it a week straight and then all of a sudden it'll be like ah it didn't work so it's your fault yep <laughs> oh i'm sorry that you didn't lose the 100 pounds you <laughs> wanted to lose in a week and yeah. now it's my fault and you know and that's not true because you cannot blame and that's a help rejecting complainer that's what they did they blame yep other people and say it's their problem, their fault. And that just doesn't fly. And, you and you've said this with other issues. Yeah. You, you didn't get a hundred pounds overweight in a week. Right. You can't get a hundred pounds less in a week. Either. <laughs> a week. No, you can't. And you actually, and this is the other thing you have to want it. And it's in, in any, in, in any addiction, you have to want it. It's not about will. Everybody has the ability to do it. Everybody has the ability to get their lives under control the way they want to. This is not being a skinny model. This is not being, this is about being healthy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes healthy comes with you having to get good, straightforward advice because, you know, if you're 20 years old and you are way overweight and you don't think that's a problem and you might die yeah. because you're having chest pains and, and, you know, you have a precondition for it and you have a early onset parent that has passed away or you have other things. Hey, there's only so much. And if yep. you, and, but it's hard too because I, the family member I was talking to yesterday that she's working, you know, she's working with this other person in her family. She was saying she's had to back herself away from the other people because the, um, because they can't handle that she's, yeah, even though she's still overweight, they're, they're, they're giving her a hard time. Like, who are you to now think that you're better than all of us because you're losing weight? So she's having a hard time coming yep. from that side. So she's had to back away. She's the crab trying to get out of the bucket. She, right. She's trying yeah. to get out of the bucket. And, um, she's got, a, she's got me as a support person and she's got like a couple other people, but then she's got this other part of the family that she was embedded in the dynamic of the addiction with that are now like, oh no. And now they're blaming her. Yep. Now they're blaming her, which is so bizarre for her losing weight is causing them problems. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so unreal. This is you. Yep. And I always say, you cannot take on any blame or shame for someone that tells you it's your fault that they have an eating disorder or that they have a drug addiction or that they have whatever right. it is. It's not your fault. And you just have to walk away from it because it's not healthy. Um, but it's so much easier for someone to just point a finger and say, I, and you know, I'm going to walk away from you and cut ties. Okay. Yep. If that's, if that was what makes you feel better. So you don't have to hear the painful truth that you have to look inward and do the work. I guess that's what it is. That's what makes the food thing. So insidious, you sit down at the dinner table and, and say, don't be silly. Have some more bread. Yeah. Yeah. 
you can have bread. It's not going to kill you. How many times do you hear it's not going to kill you? Well, you know, there's a point where it is. Yep. Yeah. And and God forbid you're the person that delivers that message. Yeah. And I'm and so I I was over the weekend I was talking with some friends. We were, Plus again that we whole laughing. translation. I grew up Italian. So this whole that whole translation, you reject food from somebody, a second helping or something like yeah. that, you're insulting them. Right. It's like, are you kidding right. me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, well, and I think that when it's not a cultural thing and it's just, you know, it's just eating to eat because it's there. Yeah. It's like the hand to mouth. I mean, you see people that have um, and this was a distinction I was going to make. There's people that are actually traumatized and, and, and are victims in life of things. Yeah. And that's that's one one um, reason for being in an eating disorder which is legitimate and valid. Yep. And then there's people who are not that, but feign their uh, victimization to get the sympathy and attention, to make a big deal, to rally people around them, to get everybody to get, you know, to, to enable them. Yep. And I'm just not a participant in that. As I know you're not. That's just more. And this is the basic mental health struggle, isn't it? It's just, yeah. just it's whether you're going to accept responsibility or not. Right. And all these realities that you make up to be a victim and to put responsibility somewhere else. Is, is, well, yeah, because why? When you're constructing that, you can't be working on the problem. Well, exactly. And when you're blaming someone, that makes it so much easier because all it does is transforms everything off of you. And be. it's like now you can tell everybody, look at can you believe he said that? Can you believe she said that? How dare they? I got to go get some dessert. <laughs> <laughs> I need another slice of pizza. Bring it. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God. Um, you know, and, and so now when I'm sitting here talking about it, and this is like the book that, you know, the two books I was mentioning before, um, one of the interesting things that I was reading about um, and talking about with a colleague over the weekend about this is that, um, I'm not coming from a place where I don't have experience in this. I have struggled and have to, as you know, and you've talked about it. I not only come from this as a clinical person, but I practice this in all of my life because I grew up in a family with obesity. Yeah. I have that struggle. I had a poor relationship with food because of the sport I was in. You yep. know, I've talked about this and it was to be anorexic and thin and skinny. And that was the culture of the sport. Plus then being in the household, I just was like, oh boy, you know, and then everybody around me was like that. And it took me into my, you know, early thirties to really come to terms with, I have a bad relationship with food and Michelle and I have talked about it on the show. She and I both growing up in the same thing. You know, it's not like I come to the table and talk about this stuff just, you know, as a doctor, I come to the table and go, I have my story and my story is real. And at the end of the day, it's not my parents fault. Yeah. It's not the gymnastics. It's me getting myself right and realizing I can't blame anybody because it's nobody's fault and the blaming, but it just kept me, kept me in the problem and gaining weight. Like I popped on a good 30 pounds at one point and I felt like felt terrible. Yeah. And that's when I was like, what is going on? And it was all that I had to deal with the feelings. I had to deal with all the stuff of all the past stuff, but not in a blaming way. It was yeah. just, I have to get right with myself to be able to say, what do I have control over? Cause eating disorders are about taking your own power back into your life. And you know, you have power if you're going to overeat, 
You have power if you're going to undereat. And if you're an anorexic, it can kill you. And if you're obese, it can kill you. It's interesting. Where's your balance? On the scale of responsibility, your story is one where you could have given up responsibility Uh relatively easily Uh and with some credibility. Yep. And I'm sure everyone's on that scale to one degree or Mm -hmm. another. But you just decided instead to accept responsibility and you prioritized your own health and your own well-being over victimizing. Right. Or be, and, being victimized. Well, and I and I saw the I saw the health risks in my family, like you know, high blood pressure, diabetes. You know, I had a grandfather that had diabetes. He wasn't overweight, but big, you know, big smoker, um, not a drinker, but big smoker, high blood pressure, hypertension, big red meat eater, blah blah blah. Like, you 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 know what that it is. You can't turn a blind eye. You know, at six years old, you don't know. You can't correct the problem, but you have to start there. You can't correct a problem at sixteen. At 16, you have yep. to start. And, and then you can't expect a 25 year old that has no guidance except for the support system of, oh, we all smoke together or we all eat together or we all drink together or we all, you know, do whatever again. That, that's going to get a thing right. You can't you can't get out from the you can't get you're, you're all crabs in the bucket that are never going to get out. Yeah. And it's it's painful. It's painful to watch. But I, I feel so it was so weird. It was like a great blessing this week to have. I have so many people I'm because I do these summer programs with weight loss for people that come in that try to like really get their stuff together. It's, we have these conversations a lot and um, I just think it's important for people to realize that, you know, they have to look at themselves and uh, you know, blaming someone else. It's never like, for me, it's never going to land on me. You could blame me, shame me, tell me it's my yep. fault. And okay, that's fine. <laughs> But I'm reminded, it's, not, it's not my problem. It's your problem. I'm reminded of two things that are more societal. It's like there was during uh, the Obama presidency when they were talking about all when they're controlling food in the schools. Right. And it's like, well, the food in the school is not the problem because you can take the soda out of the schools, right. but the kids get a two liter at home. Right. And it's and apparently perfect, and, right. perfectly acceptable. Right. Right. And then I remember the story. I think we've talked about this. The woman who was suing McDonald's yep. because she couldn't keep her six year old from Happy yeah. Meals. Yeah. It's like it's called you can't you can stop driving through the drive through. Right. You don't have to. Your kids are not driving. You don't have to go to McDonald's. Well, I think so. That goes back to the beginning of what I was saying is that like it's really it's a zero to six year old. You know, you don't have this all of a sudden. It's like people will say, oh, I didn't have my drug addiction until I was in my 30s. Yes, you did. Yeah. You had you had the behavior set up way back before you knew your spouse. You had the kindling. You had you had you just lit it. Yep. And however you let it, it got going. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't. But, hey, you have to be able to deal with the outcomes of that. Right. If you're a heroin addict, you got to know that you're not going to live a long, long life. If you are obese, it's likely you're not going to live a long, long life. Um, you know, and all those things that come with it. If you are anorexic, you, you, you know, Karen Carpenter, I'm not stating myself, but Karen Carpenter or, you know, look at. Um, I would believe she's an hermaphrodite, but. That's one of the story. That's nice. No, That's nice. Thought just yep. occurred to me. Oh my God. Well, I'll get the fact checkers out there yeah. to say, was Karen Carpenter a yeah. hermaphrodite? We'll ask John. John, go look it up. Um, he loved Karen Carpenter. John did the research. No, well, Karen, he loved Karen Carpenter. Oh, every Karen Carpenter I, was great. Every time a song comes on, he always talks about how, oh, when he was in San Diego. It's so funny. <laughs> oh my God. But so she, you know, there's a, you know, there's a struggle. And if you've listened to some of the interviews with her that she's talked about it or her brother was talking yeah. about it, you know, that, like she really had to, I mean, she died, it, you know, you, your body eats itself, you know, it's, yeah. it goes in a different direction, but we don't have that epidemic 
we our epidemic in the United States right now is obesity. Yep. And it starts in childhood. I mean, look at the show I did at the top of the year on on little kids now getting approved for ozempic and bariatric and sleeve surgeries and all that stuff like that's that's what it goes back to like it's just cutting the nerve giving the sleeve shortening the stomach and then cutting that nerve for temporary ability to stop the emotions that are getting triggered in the brain that make you feel bad that make you want to eat so that you eat less and eventually once it repairs itself guess what if you haven't done any of the behavioral stuff with a psychologist or some kind of treatment program or anything it's going to all happen all over again you were talking earlier about it uh fast food chains and advertising. Uh-huh. There's one, I believe it's Wendy's. I don't want to name the wrong company if it's not, but their current campaign is late night binging. Yep. You know, indulge your late night mm-hmm. binge. Come eat a Baconator. It's like <laughs> we're open to one in the morning. Yeah, I think I think that is the one. Well, and yeah. that's the thing. And, 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 and I noticed that that campaign jumped out of me. It's like, really? Come eat a Baconator at one in the morning? And, and that is directly so you know there's psychologists and there's people that in industrial organizational psychology that they get in and behaviorists that get into the minds of of how to get into consumers minds to do that like you know yeah live your life have a baconator i mean and and, yeah and do it at one o'clock in the morning that's why they don't they don't start those commercials early in the day right those commercials come on at night for a reason they hit you right after like the normal typical american dinner hour and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah it sounds good and or a pizza pizza places stay open till one in the morning they deliver they'll deliver to you so mm-hmm. you know there there's you know in a whole pizza people will sit down and eat a whole pizza and then they go to bed on it and then they don't feel good yeah and then they wonder why they have like gerd or whatever you know um it's 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 unfortunate because i think people um push i think people will be remain in their loneliness places and their sadness places in their head because they alienate people out of their lives a lot of times Mm -hmm. when they um don't accept the help and that they would rather be a victim and blame someone and that's their choice because it's shameful for them it's frustrating for their support group. right and they want and they want you to be shamed with them yeah they want you to feel the misery with them so they'll make sure they turn it on you and you know how that works with me doesn't right Great episode. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I had good inspiration and I had great talks with really great colleagues and friends over the weekend and and one of my awesome fact checkers and he was sending me all kinds of cool <laughs> stuff yesterday on this. And um, but I, I just think it's timely because it's in the news constantly and it was on the news again this morning about um, you know, the the corruption of 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 young adulthood who have grown up in this era of complete modeling of just eat to feel good and not eat to survive. And you don't have to get, you know, you don't have to go out and walk and you don't have to do anything. You just, uh, then don't complain that you don't feel good. What about the mid teens, um, late teens mix here? Because when my son was in his mid teens, Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to eat us all out of house Mm -hmm. and home. I mean, it was incredible. Well, how much also, that kid put away. Well, also when you and they into, can carry it at that point. Well, when but, you're yeah. in your teenage years, yeah. right? If your your son was an athlete, though, right? No, not really. Oh, he, oh, he, yeah, I thought your no, son was an athlete. No hormones. Yeah. Because so the hypothalamus, right? The that's hormonal. Like it's boom. It's like that's where your sex drive is. That's where your sleep, your temperature, all yeah. that. Right. So, so you're good, especially boys will eat and eat because yeah. they're growing because once they hit puberty it goes and goes and goes it was scary mm-hmm. yeah. and that's and that's and that's the hormonal thing 
the problem and he's is, not a big kid he's not a big kid now he wasn't right. at the time but he's just eating good, that constantly it was really good genetics then to, you know because some people have really good genes that they can do that and never have it catch up yeah it's not really for most people a lot of people get into that space where unfortunately especially for women you know they hit a certain age and then you know you get there and it carries into your late teens or early 20s, 20s and you and don't then, get out of it and then you well yeah. because the pattern set right because now you're habituated into eating out of comfort and like yep. i said at the top of the show like it it you know you can look up the scientific american article that i was referencing and you can look up the one from psych central these are all backed up like this is like a common pattern that people do and it's you know it's an alienation of one's own self within themselves you know they're people are gaslighting themselves into like their addiction and they can't by the time they're in their 20s it's just that's why you see so many people like struggle and that was oh that's what i was gonna say about this morning is that we we are more and more knowing like how cognitively it changes people and how alzheimer's is you know like the diabetes type three and yeah. you, you know and i think that young people don't realize that you don't have to be heavy to be a diabetic. You don't have to, you just have to eat a whole bunch of processed crap and keep doing it. And you're, if once you're on insulin and your pancreas is shot, you, that's a lot. And that's, a, that's not a, that's not a long life either. Yeah. Cause it's hard to live as a, as a diabetic. Cause you have to be so spot on and people are very loosey goosey about it sometimes. And, um, Sometimes I think it's a hard a hard thing to watch even some of the mainstream commercials when they advertise like, you know, and now is Epic, by the way. Did you see it's getting some starting to get some bad rap because yeah. it's chemically hurting? You know, it's like they're coming. They, I think it was last Friday it came out with, um, you know, some doctors being like, you you know, very blunt. You cannot keep using this thinking that, you know, your body's not going to have a need to have a behavioral change. You still have to do something. Yeah. You know, but it's the quick fix thing is like, oh, you mean I can, can't take the shot and still eat the vat of yeah. rice that you just put in front Everyone's of Everyone's going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. You got to say that. Right. Yeah. But, right. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that all falls out. But I just think that, you know, if you have loved ones in your life or you have, you know, um, people around you or you're a doctor, all my doctor friends are very outspoken about this to their patients and their friends and their family. Um, and if, and if it's hard to hear, it's hard to hear, but it, it's one of those things and you don't want to see people die in your life because you care about them, but also if they can't handle it. You just have to be able to cut ties. Yeah. It's, um, not for the obese, that's a whole different level of issue, but just losing five or seven pounds for everybody is such a great feeling. It's a good feeling, but it gives you a great skill set for everything else you're dealing with. Because mm -hmm. again, it's about taking control of your outcomes right. financially too, just getting your financial house in order a little bit and mm -hmm. a, a little bit more awareness. You learn skills that help you with other parts of it. It carries over. Well, and I think that the eating, I think eating disordered stuff, unlike other addictions, is when you actually can get your own personal sense of control over yep. that is a lot different because it's so it's so personal because it's coming from your own yeah. emotional space that you know the food itself isn't the thing that's creating the addiction the food is the symptom of the problem mm -hmm. and the problem is if you can get that control and lose five or seven pounds and go oh this actually feels good and you did it on your own and you yep. didn't ask for you know, you didn't blame anybody for it and you didn't ask for any handouts and you didn't ask for free passes and sympathy mm -hmm. and attention. Yeah. Big change in people. I'm, I'm again, very blessed because I know a lot of my clients listen to this. I'm so blessed that I have 
clients and and some friends that actually listen to advice and do do the right thing for themselves yeah you know so um i will be trying to get that lovely writer of that book that is fantastic on and if i can get the other one i love the title of the other book i just i just think it's so spot on and there's so many good books out there but i just love his title I just think it's just, I, it makes me laugh, but it's also just because it's, it's so true, right? I mean, how, how do you not have like, like. Just an opening of, opening of a frank, frank discussion. Well, it's opening of frank discussion that I think a lot of people really need to have. And yep. I think that, you know, dead people don't lose weight because, you know, they're dead. I'd rather be up on this side of the ground and being able to have the conversation. And I think the best thing about that book um, is it really gives you, if you want it, it will give you good how to's to really take, you know, create boundaries for yourself, know when to say no, understand your brain chemistry to know that you're doing this out of um, emotion, behavior, habit. Mm -hmm. And also it's the same thing in, in, in like any other addiction is that, you know, when we have people come in and out of rehabs, you don't send people home to the same environment and right. expect that it's going to be better. So if your environment is a household of of eaters and emotional eaters and all that, you got to be able to survive in that with your own tools instead of just falling in line and being like, well, everybody else does this and I can't get out of it because it's too hard. It's a dual diagnosis like any yep. addiction. Yeah. yeah. Anxiety, depression, sadness. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, but if anyone wants to go out and get those lovely books, My Hungry Head by, um, uh, Mary Beth Sharon or Dead People Don't Lose Weight, Michael Crookshank. I don't get any kickback on it, but <laughs> but I and I will try to get her on because uh, I think she's a great resource. And her book is I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I have I have done some and it's it's very good. And she's a straight shooter like I am. So um, with friends and family and and clients. So it's good. Um, so anyway, for everybody, I will see and talk to you. Next week, I'm thinking, like, what are we doing? <laughs> doing another um, show next yeah, week. We're doing another show next week, but yeah. we're not doing it on this. Um, but we will be going on to something different. Okay. And uh, have a great week. Mm -hmm.